Hi, everybody. This is, of course, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. I hope you are doing well, and I hope that you are staying safe, of course. And welcome to, I think, just about the most productive and positive and helpful philosophy show the world has ever seen, largely to, to due to the genius of technology and the wonderful listeners such as yourself. I'm just going to uh, wait here for a moment to let everyone join. There are some huge developments, and we're going to get into all of those. Hello to Nationalist Daniel. Hello to Matt the Man. Hello to John Christopher. Hello to Zidney Va... Oh, <laughs> sorry. The font has defeated my 54-year-old. Uh, Varuta says, what the heck is up, Steph? Thanks for everything, bro. Hello, my friend. Hello, Jacqueline. Hello, Fat Thor. Greetings, Stefan. I just completed my sex challenge. Uh, sex change, sorry. I think that the former is probably a little bit more fun than the latter. Uh, what video cam do you use? Um, I'm using a Canon EOS C. I was uh, using a um, webcam for a while, but webcams can't record as backup, so I'm doing that. Uncle Herb, hello, Moldy. Glad to see you. Please don't be looking at your toe fungus. Uh, Uchuho says, I'm literally, literally living an upside-down world. Well, um, hello to you in Australia. Hello, everybody. Oh, you finally got a notification. Excellent. Next thing you know, I'll auto-complete in the search window. Because, you know, if can you imagine that YouTube would be suppressing someone like me who talks a lot about U.S. politics right before an election? That would be That would be really strange. That would be really strange. Hello from Bulgaria. Hello, Bulgaria. Do you watch Wake? Did you watch Waco? No, I haven't. I did watch their Chernobyl one, which I uh, got to tell you, kind of a boner killer. Let's be straight up, man. That's not a date movie at all in any way, shape, or the form. Hello again from Ottawa, Canada, to one of my favorites. Hello, Hank from South Africa. Nice to see you as well. Nationalist Daniel is putting a picture of me with my dancing. Yes, that's right. I did take my top off when I was talking to a guy who was dating a supermodel. And um, I also find that when I stream to Twitch, I do spontaneously lose my top. So we shall see. Ah, Bitcoin is number one. Bitcoin is fantastic. Hello from South Texas. Hello, hello. Vienna protest at U.S. Embassy tomorrow. Good. I need new shoes anyway. Stefan, I very much enjoyed your debate with rationality rules. I do. I did enjoy that debate as well. It was a lot of fun. I was kind of half and half about looking at my own book during the debate, but it just seemed like a bad idea, uh, something where you end up uh, in a uh, kind of hunt for something, someone else's ordering position. So I'm glad that I waited. Hello from Munich, Germany. Hello to Scotland. Hello to Brighton. Help you. Uh, I'm working every day to help you gorgeous, lovely, talented, beautiful, and I dare say clean-smelling people. I really, really appreciate that. Just from the USA, I'm not in an area of any sickness or violence. Hey, Steph from London. Hey, Craig. How you doing? You need to debate more. Andy, set me up some debates. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. Listen, I got to tell you guys, uh, you know, you may have noticed this from the fact that I say I'm going to do a live stream and then it takes me quite a while. There's so much setup to do. It's absolutely lunatic and i am running a wide variety of social media platforms i am running uh, this show i've got of course mountains of emails debate preparation uh, the research for shows like this i'm trying not to let my protestant workaholic side take over but i'm not saying i'm having a huge amount of success 
hello from the Bronx. You know where looting occurred and we can't defend ourselves, otherwise we are called racists. Yes, 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 yes. Don't burn yourself out. That is a very, very good point. And uh, I am going to probably take the rest of the day off after this. So uh, shall we, uh, should we get into it? Debate with a Black Lives Matter leader? That's interesting. I'd rather do that live, but uh, I imagine that uh, the hard leftists would just bomb so many threats in that it wouldn't really happen. But, um, oh, please do check out Project Veritas. James O'Keefe has just put out a very powerful expose of a guy who went undercover with Antifa, which is a highly, highly dangerous thing to do. Hey, hello, neighbor from Mississauga. Stefan, I've managed to catch you live whilst repairing my bass guitar. Ooh. If you want to catch some incredible bass, the beginning of Paul Young's cover of um, Wherever I Lay My Hat, That's My Home, has got some incredible bass work. And I just wanted to, uh, to mention that. All right. So uh, shall, we, shall we get into it? Most, pro- most protests in Baltimore have been peaceful. Well, good. I, I good. Seth Rich, is, Seth Rich is worth rioting over? No, but I'm hearing pretty significant rumors coming out of the White House that Jared Kushner is aiming to get a DACA amnesty or something like that in place before the election. Now that, I don't suggest rioting. I don't suggest any of this stuff, but I'm telling you, it's most likely going to happen out of that. So, James O'Keefe video isn't available anymore? Really? Really? Bless you all from France. Bless Stefan, a voice of reason, and may the victims of these horrible events rest in peace. Who was the undercover guy Steph just mentioned? So go to Project Veritas, V-E-R-I-T-A-S, and James O'Keefe is doing incredible work exposing corruption. And, uh, yeah, they've got uh, a guy went undercover to Antifa, to get trained, and they talked to him about how to uh, outvile jelly, squishy, extract somebody's eyeballs in a fight. Uh, it really was just horrendous and appalling. The Hodge twins, now those guys are like two giant manly thumbs of pure charisma. I just wanted to <laughs> point that out, that uh, I would like to photocopy myself and be as good looking as they are, uh, because they are an extraordinarily positive uh, force in this world. So yeah, the Hodge twins are, are great. And, oh, by the way, check out Candace Owens' latest video on George Floyd. It is really, really good. So let's, uh, let's get into it, shall we? Let's uh, talk about, um, I guess, something that's fairly significant that has uh, just come out. As you may remember, I did talk about this in the past, that one suspicion that I had. So, you know, for those of you who are watching this down the road, like in the future— This was the time of great COVID panic, right? So this is before all of these riots and all of that, and before everybody trying to get back to some kind of normal may have proven that some of the hysteria was, or some of the caution, let's say, was uh, overblown. We'll find out in the next week or two whether or not there's going to be a resurgence of SARS-CoV-2. But I did talk about during this time of intense terror of airborne viruses that it could be the case that George Floyd had coronavirus and that it also is possible that George Floyd informed the police that he had coronavirus or some criminals have said, I've got AIDS and they try and bite and they try and spit, in which case I think we can understand, at least to some degree, how it ended up that they felt they needed to restrain 
George Floyd face down on the road because they were afraid he was he had an airborne virus. Of course, AIDS is not airborne, but SARS-CoV-2 is and is highly contagious at close quarters. So if he was if they thought he had coronavirus or he told them that he had coronavirus, then his aggression would be all the more appalling and terrifying to the cops, right? Because if he's panting, if he's breathing, if he's attacking, if he's biting, if he's spitting, then that is an airborne virus that has a 1% death rate. And everybody says, oh, it's only 1%, like it's a Dungeons and Dragons to hit armor class zero roll. But it is, of course, somebody offers you a bowl of M&Ms and says only one of them is poisoned. Would you like one? (laughs) You're going to say not so much, right? So anyway, it turns out the medical examiner's autopsy has revealed that George Floyd, uh, George Floyd had a positive test for coronavirus. A full autopsy report on George Floyd, the man who died after being restrained by Minneapolis police last month, revealed that he was positive for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. The 20-page report also indicates that Floyd had fentanyl and methamphetamine in his system at the time of his death, although the drugs are not listed as the cause. So he also had cannabinoids, as far as I understand it as well. In, a, in video taken by bystanders, Floyd, 46, is shown repeatedly pleading that he cannot breathe as he is held down with a knee on his neck. And we, of course, have seen all of this. So the autopsy report from Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office concludes the cause of death was, and I quote, cardiopulmonary arrest complicating law enforcement subdual restraint and neck compression. That conclusion, death due to heart failure, differs from the one reached by an independent examiner hired by the Floyd family. That report listed the cause of death as asphyxiation from sustained pressure. Well, of course it did, right? I mean, and uh, but, but that guy, the guy hired by the Floyd family, uh, said that there was no evidence of neck compression because it would have vanished by the time he got it. But he assumed that neck asphyxiation had occurred because he looked at the video, you know, like, like all good doctors are supposed to do. This medical examiner's report does not mention asphyxiation. However, according to prosecutors in charging documents filed last week, early results, quote, revealed no physical findings that support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxia or strangulation. So the medical examiner's report also details blunt force injuries to the skin of Floyd's head, face, and upper lip, as well as the shoulders, hands, and elbows, and bruising of the wrists consistent with handcuffs. uh, handcuffs. So signed by Dr. Andrew M. Baker, it says Floyd had tested positive for the novel coronavirus on April 3rd. A post-mortem nasal swab confirmed that diagnosis. The report notes that because a positive test, a positive result for coronavirus can persist for weeks after the, the disease is resolved, quote, the result most likely reflects asymptomatic but persistent positivity from previous infection. And as I mentioned, in addition to fentanyl and methamphetamine, the toxicology report from the autopsy showed that Floyd also had cannabinoids in his system when he died. Floyd also had heart disease, hypertension and sickle cell trait, a mostly asymptomatic form of the more serious sickle cell disease and inherited blood disorder that primarily affects African Americans because apparently a sickle cell trait doesn't know that race is a social construct. So as you probably have heard, three other officers at the scene were charged for the first time on Wednesday with aiding and abetting second-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. So that seems uh, pretty damn significant. Positive test for coronavirus, heart disease, and cardiac arrest was really the cause of death. Cardiac arrest. Now, 
Of course, it's important to remember a couple of things. And let me just bring up some notes here that uh, I wanted to mention. So I got this from a doctor uh, who I know. He said, Steph, we're on a first syllable basis. I call him duh. The next time some leftist moron brings up George Floyd's cries of I can't breathe and claims death due to asphyxiation, please understand this point of human physiology straight from a physician. If someone is choking or being choked, they are generally unable to move air effectively through their trachea and hence through their larynx, giving them no ability to speak. Therefore, someone who is truly being choked to death will be silent or making gasping, intelligible sounds and not speaking in full sentences, saying, I can't breathe. If you truly can't breathe, you cannot speak. Furthermore, symptoms of coronary ischemia and a heart attack causes chest pain and shortness of breath. So does congestive heart failure. Patients suffering from congestive heart failure or with uncontrolled heart disease are often unable to exert themselves even to walk up a flight of stairs without being severely short of breath. Add in drug abuse with fentanyl and methamphetamine and a history of likely long-term hypertension, which genetically is widespread in African Americans, plus a history of cocaine abuse, and it is no wonder he was short of breath. It was no wonder he was short of breath. Now, I wanted to go a little bit through the timeline here, because there's a lot, of course, that's not being reported on, and thus, as uh, often as usual, it uh, kind of falls uh, to me to get this stuff done, right? So, let's uh, get through the timeline. May 25th, 2020, someone called 911 and reported that a man bought merchandise from Cup Foods in Minneapolis with a counterfeit $20 bill. 8.08 p.m., Minneapolis Police Department officers Thomas Lane and J.A. Kung Arrived with their body-worn cameras activated and running, the officers learned from a store personnel that the man who passed the counterfeit $20 was passed, parked in a car around the corner from the store on 38th Street. Now, the first thing, of course, that I would guess around all of this stuff, the first thing that I would be curious about is, look, just because you pass a counterfeit bill doesn't mean that you are wrong. It doesn't mean that you're a criminal. Because you can, of course, pass a $20 bill having no idea that it's a counterfeit. So that would be my first question. How did this escalate? Because, I mean, we all try and put ourselves in the position of other people, right? It's a basic empathy thing, right? So we can all imagine that uh, we're sitting in a car and uh, or, or we're, we're trying to buy something and the clerk says, Hey, man, this bill is counterfeit. What would you do? I mean, I can tell you what I would do. I would say, Bitcoin for the win. No, I would say, look, uh, that's not good. So uh, call the cops. I will stay here. And I will tell the cops where I think I got this money from. I will participate. I will cooperate. I will try and do whatever I can to pretend that counterfeiting is morally wrong for the people, but morally right for the Federal Reserve. But you know what I mean? Like, that's what you would do is you would sit there and try and work with the officers to try and figure out. Because, you know, you can always get past a bum $20 bill. And he was in there buying cigarettes because, you know, he was just so dedicated to his own personal health. And so that's the first thing that we would think of. And, of course, if you did that with regards to the cops, it's pretty much impossible to imagine how it could escalate further from there, right? Now, let's talk about the, um, uh, the 911 call, 
right? Because the 911 call is kind of important when it comes to figuring this out. So I'm going to put the 911 call up here because it's important to know what the officers came with when they first showed up to the scene. What information did they have? Okay, let's, let's look it up. And this transcript has been released by the Minneapolis uh, Police Department, I assume. So let's uh, pause this for the sake of our tasty bandwidth. So a transcript has been released by the city of Minneapolis. Uh, so let's have a look at what is said. Operator, 911, what's the address of the emergency? This is blah, blah, blah. Operator, how can I help you? Uh, someone comes in, someone comes our store and gives us fake bills and we realize it before he left the store and we ran back outside. They were sitting on their car. We tell them to give us their phone, put their something back and everything. And he was also drunk and everything and return to give us our cigarettes back. And so he can, so he can go home, but he doesn't want to do that. And he's sitting on his car because he's awfully drunk and he's not in control of himself. So let's look at this sentence. We tell them to give us their phone, put their something back. I don't know what give their phone has to do with, unless he bought a burner, but you can't buy a burner, I don't think, plus cigarettes with $20. So I don't know what the give the phone is, right? Put their something back and everything, and he was also drunk and everything, and to give us our cigarettes back so he can go home. God damn. Look at that. Give us our cigarettes back so he can go home. That's all. They, they just wanted their cigarettes back. He paid with a fake bill, which they figured out pretty quickly. They go out and say, hey, man, just give us the cigarettes back. Because, you know, like these stores run on really, really slim margins. If you've never run a business, you don't know just how you let this kind of stuff go on and you can go out of business pretty quickly. Plus, of course, this was in the middle of the lockdown, so... Uh, everybody's a little tense and businesses are having a hard time. I know I am, of course, and the link below to support the show, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Really, really appreciate that. So that's all that happened. That's so sad. God damn it. This is where it all comes from. They just go out and say, look, you, you gave us a fake bill. Just just give us the cigarettes back and and just you can go home. So then they talk about the vehicle, the driver's license, the, the color, and uh, so they say, the operator says, so this guy gave a counterfeit bill, has your cigarettes, and he's under the influence of something? The caller says something like that. Yes, he's not acting right. So then they go into the race. He's six, uh, I think he was six six or something. He's a huge guy. You see, you see him towering over these East Asian police, I think they're East Asians, and uh, holy crap, I mean, it's uh, just crazy, right? So uh, he's a black guy, and uh, that's, uh, that's about it, right? That's, uh, that's the transcript. So that's the part I wanted to point out here. Just give us the cigarettes back, and you can, you can go home. Isn't that just tragic beyond words? That that's all that was needed. Just give us it back. That's all. It's all they needed. So let's uh, continue to go through the timeline because I really, really want you guys to understand how this played out and all of the questions that need to be asked that aren't being asked because people aren't philosophers or 
brave, I suppose, or foolhardy, if you look at it that way. So how did this, how did it happen that he got arrested for counterfeiting when, how did they know that there was reasonable suspicion that the bill was counterfeit, A, and that Mr. Floyd knew that the bill was counterfeit, right? Anyway, so the officers approached the car, laying on the driver's side and going on the passenger side. Three people were in the car. George Floyd was in the driver's seat, a known adult male was in the passenger seat, and a known adult female was sitting in the back seat. Now, known, what does that mean? Known to law enforcement? I think so. So that's not good, right? As Officer Lane began speaking with Mr. Floyd, he pulled his gun out and pointed it at Mr. Floyd's open window and directed Mr. Floyd to show his hands. So I don't know if this was Mr. Floyd's car, if they ran the license plate and his, his history of, of violence, you know, like just for those who don't know, George Floyd was part of a criminal gang that pretended to be a gas worker saying, we need to come in and check the meter. Uh, and then they kicked their way into a pregnant black woman's house. He jammed his gun into her belly uh, while his friends ransacked her house. Uh, they stole her cell phone. There weren't the money and drugs that they were looking for. And um, so his significant, lengthy criminal history. And this is while he was in his 30s, you know. I'm not so far, uh, I may be not as nice a person as Candace Owens to say she's very forgiving with this kind of stuff, but uh, sociopathy can't be cured, right? You, you, empathy requires particular, 13 particular different sections of the brain to all work together during early infancy and early toddlerhood in order to develop something like empathy. And mirror neurons are actual physical parts of the brain. Like, you know, if you ever watch those videos where a guy takes a rake to the nads and you're like, oh, like you feel it yourself. Well, that's called mirror neurons, right? And and if you don't have them, you don't have them. It's like expecting that uh, uh, talk therapy can regrow someone's arm. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're beyond hope or you, they're not human or anything like that. It just means that when you have that particular kind of lack of empathy and uh, all of that, plus, you know, burning out the brain with, with drugs and all of that. He was a multi-decade drug addict, a coke addict, and, and methamphetamines and fentanyl, which is like up to 100 times more powerful than morphine. So why did things go so badly? Well, as it turns out, you see, the, I mean, there were a couple of things here. So first and foremost, the bill actually had the, the ink was still running on it. Like the ink was still damp on it, right? And that's like, it's smudged. So what does that mean? Well, that means that it was very recently manufactured. And that means that as George Floyd probably lost his job during coronavirus, because it wasn't like nightclubs were allowed to open, which is where he had his job as a security guard. I guess maybe the, uh, he, he couldn't get a hold of the uh, government uh, bailout for individuals at 1200 bucks or whatever. So maybe, just maybe, these people were involved in uh, some sort of counterfeiting ring because how else would you get a, um, a counterfeit bill that was still wet? Like that would make no sense to have that in your uh, orbit, right? So that's number one. Uh, number two, the fact that Mr. Floyd was sitting in the driver's seat of a car while bombed out of his gourd on fentanyl and methamphetamine traces and whatever was left over from the cannabinoids, well, he is already in extraordinarily, he's, da he's dangerous to the community because if he decides to peel out in that car and to avoid arrest, first of all, he could drive over the officer's foot. Actually, I've always, I've always been kind of surprised at how few people were there sitting talking to someone and then the, someone drives off, nobody gets their foot driven over, at least it's pretty rare. 
So we have a particularly dangerous situation. They know this guy's a dangerous criminal. They're afraid of him peeling off into the uh, street while stoned on fentanyl, right? Or, of course, now they don't know what he's stoned on. They don't know. They know that he's sluggish. And, and again, everybody's thinking about coronavirus because it's literally in the air, right? And they also know, at least I assume that they had talked to the, um, the cashier so because they needed to get the car pointed out to them. So um, they probably knew that the bill was uh, not just fake but wet, right, in which case, right? So... As, uh, so he, he pointed uh, his gun at Mr. Floyd's open window and directed Mr. Floyd to show his hands. When Mr. Floyd put his hands on the steering wheel, Lane put his, put his gun back in its holster. So we don't know, of course, and, and it would be more than helpful to put it mildly to get the officer cam here. We don't know the interaction that caused Officer Lane to begin to be concerned enough to pull his gun and point it at Mr. Floyd's open window. What was said? But... When Mr. Floyd put his hands on the steering wheel, Lane put his gun back in the holster. While Officer Kung was speaking with the front seat passenger, Officer Lane ordered Mr. Floyd out of the car, put his hands on Mr. Floyd, and pulled him out of the car. Officer Lane handcuffed Mr. Floyd. So, just so you understand, he, I assume, this is the knowledge, right, that he'd knowingly passed a counterfeit bill, and he was sitting behind the wheel of a car that everybody assumes he drove there while stoned out of his gourd on something. And so he's all, and, and there was probably some sort of noncompliance or something that caused Officer Lane to pull out his gun and point it at Mr. Floyd. And we don't know what that is as yet. At least I don't think it's out there. So this idea that he was a, a, you know, an innocent man, no. I mean, he's already been driving under the influence. He's already, I assume, the knowledge is that he's knowingly passed a counterfeit currency, and also that he said something to the officer that caused the officer to be highly alarmed, right? Once handcuffed, Mr. Floyd walked with Officer Lane to the sidewalk and sat on the ground at Officer Lane's direction. When Mr. Floyd sat down, he said, thank you, man, and was calm. Well, he's stoned. I, mean, I don't know what calm means in this situation. In a conversation that lasted just under two minutes, Officer Lane asked Mr. Floyd for his name and identification. Officer Lane asked Mr. Floyd if he was on anything and noted that there was foam at the edges of his mouth. Officer Lane explained that he was arresting Mr. Lloyd for passing counterfeit currency. Now, this could be because Officer Lane knew that the currency was wet. It could also be that he just needed to get him off the road. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know what all of this means. But this is also the moment which you can see, which I showed in the last video, where George Floyd is reaching up and, and reaching behind him and then throwing a small white packet onto the ground. Come on, we all know what that means, right? That's not even a, uh, that's not a Sherlock Holmes moment here, right? At 8.14 p.m., Officers Kung and Lane stood Mr. Floyd up and attempted to walk Mr. Floyd to their squad car. As the officers tried to put Mr. Floyd in their squad car, Mr. Floyd stiffened up and fell to the ground. Mr. Floyd told the officers he was not resisting, but he did not want to get into the back seat and was claustrophobic. Now, here's the thing, man. Here's the thing. Now we have a big problem. Because the cops know that George Floyd is lying. And how do they know that he's lying? Are they mind readers? No. It's, it's completely obvious that George Floyd is lying about being claustrophobic. Because 
saying I can't get into a car because I'm claustrophobic when you just got pulled out of a car is a lie. And now the police know, ah, shit. Now we're going to have a mess, right? This is a violent felon with a history of of, uh, brutality. He's on drugs. He's um, resisting. Uh, He said something to Officer Lane that caused him to pull his gun. And now he's saying, I don't want to get into the car because I'm claustrophobic. That's a straight-up lie because, again, they just pulled him out of a car, which was pretty much the same dimensions as the back of the squad car they were going to put him into. So it's like when you get pulled out of an elevator and then somebody says, get into the elevator, and you say, hey, man, I can't because I'm claustrophobic of elevators. Like, now you're in a problem. Now you're in a problem. Now... Minneapolis officers Derek Chauvin and Tu Thao then arrived in a separate squad car, right? So I assumed that they were called for backup or there was a radio thing or like, we're going to need backup. This is going to be a potential significant problem. The officers made several attempts to get Mr. Floyd in the backseat of their squad car by pushing him in from the driver's side. As the officers were trying to force Mr. Floyd in the backseat, Mr. Floyd repeatedly said that he could not breathe. Mr. Floyd did not voluntarily sit in the backseat and the officers physically struggled to try and get him in the backseat. The defendant, uh, that's of course um, uh, Derek, went to the passenger side and tried to get Mr. Floyd into the car from that side and Lane and Kung assisted. The defendant pulled Mr. Floyd out of the passenger side of the squad car at 8.19.38 p.m. and Mr. Floyd went to the ground face down and still handcuffed. Kung held Mr. Floyd's back and Lane held his legs. The defendant placed his left knee in the area of Mr. Floyd's head and neck. Mr. Floyd said, I can't breathe multiple times and repeatedly said, Mama and please. As well, at one point, Mr. Floyd said, I'm about to die. The defendant and the two other officers stayed in their positions. One of the officers said, you were talking fine, which is the point that the doctor sent to me earlier, to Mr. Floyd as he continued to move back and forth. Lane asked, should we roll him on his side? And the defendant said, no, staying put where we got him. Officer Lane said, I am worried about excited delirium or whatever. So excited delirium is uh, something that's... uh, well, I guess it's worth, uh, it's worth telling you a little bit about. So it has actually been, was first described in the 1800s, uh, believe it or not. It's characterized by agitation, aggression, acute distress, and sudden death, often in the pre-hospital care setting. It is typically associated with the use of drugs that alter dopamine processing, hypothermia, and most notably sometimes with death of the affected person in the custody of law enforcement. Subjects typically die from cardiopulmonary arrest. You know what? I got to put this up up here. The screen's a little little small, but uh, maybe for my lovely listeners who get to look at my spotted head on a 4K TV, uh, you can uh, you can see this. But I'm going to put this up, right? So the uh, officers are aware of some of this uh, risk, some of this uh, danger, right? So I will um, just uh, zoom zoom down a little bit here. So. Uh, uh, excited or agitated delirium associated with the use of drugs. Well, of course, we had the use of drugs. And it's also associated sometimes with the death of the affected person in the custody of law enforcement. Subjects typically die from cardiopulmonary arrest, although the cause is debated. Unfortunately, an adequate treatment plan has yet to be established in part due to the fact that most patients die before hospital arrival. <gasps> Look at that also. Fits in this uh, situation. Um, So this syndrome, or this uh, excited delirium, has gained increasing public attention recently due to the number of post-mortem explanations offered by medical examiners regarding the death of individuals being restrained by police or being taken into custody. 
So again, I will put the links to all of this below, but that is um, a pretty important situation that is, uh, well, important to remember. The, the, the cops were aware of the potential, and at some point, of course, pretty early on, they called the, um, the ambulance. They called for the ambulance, right? So that's important as well. So while Mr. Floyd showed slight movements, his movements and sounds decreased until 8.24.24. He stopped moving at 8.25.31. The video appears to show Mr. Floyd ceasing to breathe or speak. Lane said, want to roll him on his side? Kung checked Mr. Floyd's right wrist for a pulse and said, I couldn't find one. And then 8.27.24, the defendant removed his knee from Mr. Floyd's neck. An ambulance and emergency medical personnel arrived. The officer placed Mr. Floyd on a gurney. He was pronounced dead at Hennepin County Medical Center. So I want to step you guys through this kind of uh, situation. Now, you know, please remember, I'm a philosopher. Uh, I'm not a chiropodist. Uh, and I'm sort of saying stuff like uh, out of uh, the old Star Trek. I'm a doctor, not a geologist. So these are just my thoughts on it. Uh, please uh, always um, refer to, to actual experts when it comes to all the basic facts about this, right? So, yeah, the, the former employee and customer of the to- shop told the New York Times she saw the bill and the ink were running on it. So that seems kind of important. So let's go back a couple of weeks. Consider if you were ever told about shortness of breath after even the shortest form of exercise with regards to a symptom of COVID. So he's got a violent tussle that is going on. Now, people who are ODing, people who are... Um, I mean, I'm thinking sort of back to the, the Eric Garner... A situation where, you know, he was a big beefy fellow and he had underlying health conditions uh, and uh, died to some degree because of those. But, you know, George Floyd was a, a tall, athletic looking, young looking guy, you know, relatively slender, uh, obviously exercised to some degree. And he like if you if you look at the video of them trying to get him into the cop car, I mean, the, the, the ton and a half cop cars rocking back and forth that so he looked pretty healthy, right? He looked pretty strong. And it's not somebody who's, like, about to have a heart attack. It doesn't look that way. And so that's really, really something important to understand about that, right? Once you start lying to the cops and you say, I'm claustrophobic. Now, my guess is, of course, it's just a guess, but if his heart was starting to shut down, again, decades of drug abuse and fentanyl and now a particularly stressful moment because we don't know what was going to unpack out of all of this, right? So we don't know what the thought process was and we probably will never know. I mean, maybe his friends in the car will talk at some point. but We don't know what the actual thought process was. Why didn't he drive away? Well, I would imagine it's because the... Um, the uh, convenience store employee had already come out and said to the guy, just give us cigarettes back and you go home. And so he'd already had, um, uh, he, George Floyd knew, or at least the people in the car knew, that they'd made an identification of the car and the license plate. And so driving away probably wasn't going to do a whole lot of good. Plus, then you're saying, you know, they, if they catch us after we drive away and then it finds out that you're on fentanyl and who knows why somebody else didn't take the wheel. Maybe the other people were on drugs as well. We don't know. We'll find out. But remember, of course, the other people were apprehended. No problem. And so they're sitting in the car and it's like, oh, man, you know, uh, I'm on drugs. They've got the ID of the car. I can't just drive away. What are we going to do? 
And this is a very stressful situation from the moment that the identification of the counterfeit $20 bill is made, like the ink running $20 bill. Now, I've got to imagine that it seems likely that everybody in the car was impaired in their thinking in some way, because sitting there saying, you know, hey, we've got this ink wet $20 bill, let's go try and buy some cigarettes. I mean, that's just not even remotely clear thinking to begin with, right? So I'm going to sit there and think that it's possible that the other people were on drugs as well. And so this is suddenly a really stressful and terrifying situation. So um, George Floyd, his heart is going to pound, he's going to get an adrenaline dump and so on, right? And he's going to have this violent tussle with the cops. And he's already got a weak heart. Some of his arteries were blocked 75%. I was reading 90%. Again, I'm no expert. I'm just telling you uh, what I read. So you can, of course, determine that for yourself or wait for medical experts to talk about it. But some of his arteries were just heavily blocked. And as I talked about, I think in my very first video of one of these, the situation is that if you have a history of cocaine abuse, it damages the heart in ways that are very hard to figure out from standard medical exams or whatever. So now here's the other problem, right? So I did a video, a couple of videos way back in the day on Freddie Gray. I've been trying to block these uh, communist race-baiting coup attempts for many, many years. So if you remember the, uh, the Freddie Gray story, so Freddie Gray was put in a police van and ended up suffering a fatal uh, spinal injury, right? And this was a huge problem. There were riots and violence around all of this as well. It turned out he just... You thrashed out all over the place. So here's the problem. As the cops, you've got a problem because you've got this big, strong-looking, healthy-looking, muscular guy. Now, if you put him into the back of the car and he injures himself, then you could be in a Freddie Gray situation. So what are you going to do? You can't get him in the car peacefully. He's in the car. As you try and get him into the car, he goes completely crazy and violent. You can't put him in the car when he's in that kind of state. And you can't let him go. See, this is the problem, right? So once the police have you under control, they are now fully responsible for what happens to you that can be reasonably predicted. Did they know that he was uh, having a heart attack given how, given how strong he was? People who have really, really weak hearts don't tend to take on four cops PCP style and resist that strongly and that violently. So they would have no reason to believe that he was in ill health. He had already lied to them, at least in one verifiable manner, because he said he was claustrophobic to get into a car when he just got out of a car. So he's lying. He already dropped this white packet, which we all know what that means, uh, whether the cop saw it or not. We don't know what other verbal interactions he had with the cop, or with the cops, I suppose. But that's the situation that they're in. What are they going to do? And again, if he's told them that he's sick, if he's told them he has coronavirus, they can't let his head up. They can't let his head up. Now, the number, of course, of criminals, and let's, he was a criminal at this point. This is not an innocent man, right? He's driving while intoxicated. He's passed a counterfeit dollar, a $20 bill, and seemingly he would know it if it's wet. Uh, He's resisting arrest. He's lying to the police. He's uh, disposing of some kind of evidence when he drops the white packet. This guy is like multiple issues criminal uh, at this point. And so what are they going to do? So here's the big danger that occurs if you're a cop 
if somebody that you have custody over decides to fight and run, then you have a very big problem on your hands. This is why, in many cases, the police are justified in using even lethal force to prevent someone from escaping because an escaped person who blends into the community is a desperately dangerous situation. He could go on a killing spree. He could set fire to things. He could take hostages. I mean, once you kind of have nothing to lose in that situation, you have a very rogue element loose in your community. And so it's not really an option to say, okay, well, we're just, what if he gets away? So they can't let him get away. And of course, the last thing they want him to do is to bolt for it, to make a break for it, because if they have to use deadly force to apprehend him, or rather to try and take him down, then he's running down a crowded street. Maybe they'll have to chase after him. Maybe there's some criminal sympathizers in the neighborhood who are going to trip them up or cause problems or open a door into their face, they suddenly have in a really chaotic and problematic situation. If they decide to shoot him because he's fleeing and therefore a highly dangerous risk to the community, they're now shooting in what could be a crowd-gathered street. There's going to, could be innocent bystander. Like, it's a terrible, terrible situation. So they do need to maintain control over him. And he's already shown just how particularly violent he can be. Now, the problem, of course is that it's the House MD principle, right? Which is everybody lies. So he's already lied to the cops. I'm claustrophobic. He's already lied. Like maybe he said, oh, I didn't know it was counterfeit when it was a wet bill. He's, and he may have lied in other contexts and so on. So now they know he's willing to attack cops. He's willing to, um, to resist arrest. He's got a violent history, which I'm sure they pulled up on their systems. And so the idea that he says, oh, my cuffs are too tight, I can't breathe, uh, and so on. That is, unfortunately, a fairly standard thing with criminals, that they're going to lie to the cops and try and find some way, especially if they've already, if he's on drugs. And again, they don't know what drug he's on. They don't know what drug he's on. All they know is that he's become extraordinarily violent and aggressive when they try to arrest him. So what does that indicate to the cops? Well, again, I don't know, but if I were a cop, I would assume... It was some sort of PCP, I can take on 10 cops kind of situation because they wouldn't have necessarily suspected something sopophoric like fentanyl, right? Uh, but because he was so aggressive and so violent, uh, maybe that was the effects of methamphetamines. I don't know, right? So they would have the assumption that if he went still, that he was playing possum, as the old phrase used to go, that he was pretending that he was uh, in pain, that he was pretending so that they would let up their pressure so that he could either attack them again or he could bolt. Because remember, we know with hindsight that he was fading out, man, that this guy was circling the drain. And and what a horrible, horrible way to die, you know, sympathies and, and it's, it's God forsaken in, in just about every conceivable context or situation. But we know with the benefit of hindsight, and this is one of the uniquely not helpful, not intelligent things to bring to the situation. Because this is what people who aren't smart do. And I love this audience. I can tell you all of this because you're, I think, the smartest audience around because this is really challenging information. But not smart people take information and drop it back through the tunnel of time as if people could know it ahead of time, right? So I was, I was explaining this to my daughter, right? And I said, look, so let's say uh, I'm, I'm carrying a, a tray of cups down some stairs, right? And I've done it a hundred times, right? 
and it's been fine. But then for whatever reason, I slip on the stairs and the tray falls and the caps break, right? It happens. So a person who's not smart will say, well, you shouldn't be carrying the cups down the stairs that way. Now, they don't say that the 99 times there's no problem. They'll say that the 100th time that there is a problem, as if you knew ahead of time that you were going to drop the cups, right? Or as I said on Twitter the other day, when people were like, well, they should have done this and they should have done that. And it's like, hey, man, everything's easy when you're not the one doing it. You have to look at, and this is what part of the trial, I assume, is going to be, is you have to look at the information that was available to the cops during the time. They did not know and had no reason to believe that he was about to die because he'd just been fighting them violently. And he was a tall, strong, strapping, healthy-looking, muscular guy. So there was no indication to the police that he was about to die. Now, he, but, but then... People say, but he, he told them he was about to die. It's like, well, yes, he did. And that is a complicated thing because a lot of criminals will lie to the police. And he's already, this is the thing. You, you can't believe liars. If he's already lied repeatedly to the police, they're going to discount what he says because they're afraid he's going to jump up. They didn't know that this violent attack that he committed upon the police or violent resistance, they didn't know that that was triggering a heart attack, right? They didn't know that. They didn't know that he had cardiopulmonary heart disease and hypertension. Like, they didn't, they didn't have access to his medical records because sanity happened, right? So they didn't know this. They didn't know that this guy was about... They didn't know he was suffering from a heart attack. All they knew was that he'd lied to them repeatedly. He'd attacked them. He was a dangerous guy. He'd resisted arrest. And so when he says, you know, I mean, I hate to sort of bring up this trivial um, example from an old TV show, but there was an old TV show called Sanford and Son, which I watched when I was a kid, and it was a black father and a black son. And every time the black father didn't get what he wanted, he would complain that he was having a heart attack. And that he was going to go and join his dead wife and Ethel or her name. I can't remember her name. And that is a silly and trivial example. And I don't mean to disrespect the dead by pointing it out. But it is an example that we are all familiar with that, you know, like we all have the relative, the usually female, who when they don't, don't get their way, she just bursts into tears you know, and just cry until she gets her way. And this kind of emotional manipulation is very common among criminals, of course, right? So that's the challenge. And this is why you don't lie to cops. Like, you don't lie to cops because then when you say you're hurting or you're in pain or you can't breathe, or, and he, I guess he couldn't breathe, right? Because his heart had stopped. And so he's feeling short of breath. That's the doctor pointed out. That's a symptom of this kind of stuff. But this is why you don't lie to cops because then when you desperately need the cops to do something, then they won't believe you, right? That's, that's one of the problems of, you know, t saying this time I'm not lying is always a horrible situation to be in for people, right? Oh, nice to see you guys uh, during the day. It's really nice to see you guys during the day. Um, I may be doing, I actually may do another show tonight, but we'll, we'll see this. Uh, we'll see this, right? Now, here's another question, of course, which is, if the symptoms that George Floyd was experiencing are all consistent with this kind of cardiac arrest, then 
given that they had already called the ambulance earlier, and I think it was pretty early on because the ambulance got there uh, pretty, pretty quickly, the question then becomes, I mean, if I'm on the jury, this is what I want to hear. If I'm on the jury, this is what I want to hear. What I want to hear is, given that the man had excited himself into a cardiac arrest, was there anything that the officers could have done that would have saved him? Right Now, we can at least discount this asphyxiation strangulation because the coroner says there's no physical evidence of it. And the medical expert that was hired by the Floyd family also said that there's no medical evidence of it. So we've got that. We've got no strangulation, no asphyxiation. So it wasn't a loss of blood and it wasn't a loss of air. So that then becomes a central question. Once the cardiac arrest had commenced, and again, we also know that uh, COVID... uh, Coronavirus attacks just about every human organ, right, if it's a bad case. Now, he had um, obviously recovered, and but we don't know, right? We don't know what damage this um, SARS-CoV-2 had done to his uh, organs as a whole. I mean, maybe there'll be more coming out. But uh, and again, I, I don't have the expertise even remotely to read in detail the coroner's report. But that's what I, I want to know this as the jury member. I want to know, was there, were there any actions that these cops could have taken uh, could have taken that would have saved George Floyd's life. And again, we can discount the knee on the back, the knee on the back of the neck because no asphyxiation, no strangulation. In other words, even if the police had accepted that George Floyd wasn't lying, wasn't faking, wasn't playing possum, if they had accepted that George Floyd was having a heart attack, that he was having, he was undergoing cardiac arrest. Was there anything that they could have done to save him in the few minutes before the ambulance came? Because once the ambulance comes, then you hand, like, they're not doctors, right? They're not um, ambulance attendants. I mean, I'm sure that they're trained in the basic CPR, and you know, maybe, right? But could they have done anything to save him? Would turning him on his side have saved him from his cardiac arrest? I don't think so. Here's the other thing, too. If for some reason he told them or they thought or they had suspicion that he had coronavirus, they can't do mouth to mouth. And even if they're doing chest compressions, right, you you, you chest compress and then that's kicking up air from his lungs... So if they had reason to believe or if he had directly told them he had coronavirus, they can't do mouth-to-mouth. They can't even do chest compressions very safely because, right, they're not wearing masks. And even if they are, that's not good, right? This is just one of the sad, tragic things that this occurred during a pandemic. So these are all very real things. Yeah, he had caffeine too, right? Which is, well, if caffeine causes heart attack, I'm going to have a, uh, an alien explosion moment right, right here, right about now. So these are the tragic realities of this situation. And so there's a couple other things I wanted to mention. I'll take a couple of questions 
and we'll then try and uh, well close this down for the day. And I really, really do appreciate you guys coming in. So let's talk about a couple of other things that are relevant to this to this situation. All right. So there is a knee-on-neck restraint that has been used for many, many years by Canadian police officers. You know, Canadians not known as the most brutal police force in the known universe. But um, that is the case. So we have here, I did talk about this uh, knee-on-knee restraint that has been used by Canadian police officers. And here you can see, if I zoom this up a little here, you can see this knee on this um, uh, black man. And I'll put a link to this below. You can, of course, go through the activists uh, and their comments. But uh, here's another one. This officer has his knee on the neck of the black man. I think it's a black man. And this officer was not disciplined. Because, of course, our whole legal system is set up to the fact that whites are generally pretty compliant with police and other people aren't. Other groups aren't, right? So this is the Canadian uh, situation. And it does seem to be pretty common, right? It does seem to be pretty common, right? So we're going to have a tough situation. When you have a guy who towers over you, as George Floyd did with these cops, if you have a guy who's lied to you, who's on drugs, and you think that the drugs are not downers like fentanyl, but uppers like PCP, and you have to restrain this guy, you can't let him loose in the community, and this kind of situation occurs, well, that is, uh, that is uh, pretty significant, right? So let's have a look at some other details. And again, the links to these will be below. Okay, so um, autopsy and summary is going on. So we looked at the respiratory system that uh, was occurring. We can also look at, uh, so blood and drug novel psychoactive substances screens. Fentanyl, 11 NG per ml. Norfentanyl, 5.6 NG per ml. 4 ANPP, 0.65 NG per ml. Methamphetamine, 19 NG to ML, and then a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and um, uh, urine drug screen, presumptive positive cannabinoids, amphetamines, and fentanyl slash metabolite. So, seems uh, fairly, uh, fairly important. Oh, yeah, this is what I wanted to mention as well. Cross sections of the vessels show multifocal atherosclerosis with 75% proximal and 75% mid-narrowing of the left anterior descending coronary artery, 75% narrowing, 75% proximal narrowing of the first diagonal branch of the left anterior descending coronary artery, 25% proximal narrowing of the circumflex coronary artery, and 90% proximal narrowing of the right coronary artery. I mean, that's... um, that's brutal. Again, I'm no doctor, but that seems pretty rough. That seems pretty rough to me. Now, if he had enough fentanyl in his blood to be an overdose or not, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, of course, uh, any, any of that. Uh, uh, whether, we'll, whether we'll find out that or not. Uh, here is some other examples of the uh, neck hold that has occurred. 
uh, throughout the world. This seems to be pretty common. And uh, yeah, it's certainly uh, Paul Craig Roberts has uh, reported that uh, the um, uh, the uh, American police are often trained in Israel, right? And they're trained in Israel, and Israel, of course, is very common to have these uh, kinds of situations. I think it was 100 Minneapolis in 2014, 100 Minneapolis police went to Israel to get that, right? So May 25th, 2020, that was Minneapolis. May 28th, 2020, Paris. There's another one. May, 20, May 30th, 2020, Madrid. Uh, these are all situations wherein the cop has his knee on the neck of this criminal or this, I guess, alleged criminal in the cases of the others. I don't know the situations behind all of that. But these are, uh, these are the realities of the, uh, of the situation. So this is why you have to wait for the facts, right? This is the reality of the, uh, of the situation. Oh, and by the way, a, um, just by the by, a 43-year-old German drifter has been identified as a prime suspect in Madeleine McCann's disappearance back in May 2007. That's worth, uh, worth looking up. And for those of you who don't know, uh, this is uh, from the New York Post, but it is important to know and people say, well, does this mean he deserved to die? Well, here's the thing. I mean, if you have a history of violence, and then don't lie and fight the cops, because they're going to take that into account, right? When they are uh, dealing with you. So, yeah. Let's look at, um, this is from Sarah. A felon who posed as a water meter to gain access to a home where a woman was home alone, held her at gunpoint and robbed her with four other dudes. In 2007, Floyd was charged with armed robbery and home invasion in Houston, in which another man posed as a water department worker. Sorry, I thought it was gas. Water department worker in an attempt to gain access to a woman's residence. When the woman realized he wasn't actually a water department worker, she tried to close the door. That's when five other men got out of a car that had just pulled up and forced their way inside. According to charging documents, the largest man in the group, whom the victim identified as Floyd, quote, forced his way inside the residence, placed, his pist- placed a pistol against the complainant's abdomen, and forced her into the living room area of the residence. He was sentenced to five years in prison as part of a plea deal in the case. It's a terrible life. It's a terrible, terrible life. And, uh, you know, again, we can only speculate, although I think it's fairly safe to assume, just how terrible his uh, childhood was, uh, just as a whole. Okay. And so... I will put the link to Paul Craig's Roberts uh, about the Israelis trading the minister, uh, the, the cops, how to, how to kill. And you can see this, of course, when it comes to the Palestinians, right? This is from uh, Jerry uh, Wayne. This is, uh, of course, Palestinians, uh, the Minnesota cops trained by Israeli police who often use neon neck restraints. Over 100 Minnesota police attended a 2012 conference where Israeli police trained them. Israeli forces often use neon neck pressure and fire worse, right? So it's hard to say why it's not good for the goose versus not goose for the gander as the situation plays out. All right, so one or two more things to say, and then we'll uh, I'll take a couple of questions and close it down and I really do appreciate it's uh, great to um, well to see so many truth seekers out there Uh, it's really uh, a wonderful thing wonderful thing to see all right so I'm not this is a PDF so again I'll link it below but um, 
we have, of course, heard this question, homicide, and a lot of people think homicide means murder. No, uh, it simply means that the death would probably not have occurred if somebody hadn't done something, right? That's, that's all, all homicide means, that somebody else was involved in the death. It, obviously, self-defense is a homicide, but it's not murder. So death by natural causes. This is a, there's a couple of things that you can be caused, that can cause your death, because they have to put some cause of death, right, on your certificate. So there's death by natural causes, and that's often recorded as the cause of a person's death. It might be a heart attack, a stroke, illness, or infection. Cancer is not considered a natural cause of death. By contrast, death caused by active intervention is known as an unnatural death, right? So natural, natural causes and unnatural causes. The unnatural causes are usually given as accident, implying no unreasonable voluntary risk, misadventure, accident following a willful and dangerous risk, which can include drug or alcohol overdose, suicide, or homicide. In some settings, other categories may be added. So homicide means that some authority, probably a coroner or medical examiner, has determined that a death was not by natural causes, suicide, or accident. Now, did George Floyd die of natural causes? Well, no. Was it a suicide? No. Was it an accident? No. So the clear is that the clear situation is that he had a heart attack, but it didn't just happen out of the blue. He wasn't just sitting in his house. He wasn't uh, jogging uh, on his own, and therefore there was an external cause that triggered most likely the coronary incident. Right, this this coronary failure. So other people had something to do with the cause of his death. Now, if what they did was lawful, then it's a homicide but not a murder. In the same way that if you shoot someone who's attacking you and it's lawful self-defense, then you are responsible for the homicide but you are not a murderer, right? Because you killed the person, right? So if what the cops did was legal, if it was within the bounds of the knowledge that they had, they did not know that he was having a heart attack. So... That's the question. It was a homicide for sure. There were other people involved in the manner of his death. But if what they were doing was lawful, then it's not murder. So it's complicated, right? So here's another couple of principles, right? When disease and injury seem inseparable. Cases will occur in which the combinations of disease and injury cause death. Or in which one seems to lead to the other. Such cases may cause dilemmas in selecting an appropriate format for writing the cause of death statement. There are several variations. Number one, significant underlying disease is exacerbated by an injury that in many people would be survivable. E.g., coronary artery disease exacerbated by the stress of a fractured hip sustained in a fall, or fatal wound infection of a relatively minor wound in someone with diabetes, right? So you understand, like diabetes, of course, cuts off your blood flow. You lose eyes, you lose limbs, you lose toes, you lose legs. Um, I think Ella Fitzgerald had, had that. So a relatively minor wound, somebody has diabetes, it gets infected, and they die. Is that murder? Or is that something somebody else would have? And again, if you don't know, they have diabetes or whatever, right? So significant underlying disease exacerbated by an injury that in many people would be survivable. So is it survivable? Would most people survive the position and the situation that George Floyd was in? That's an interesting question. And if the answer is no, most people wouldn't survive that, then the question is why were they allowed to do it? Because they're told this can be dangerous, but they're not told they can't do it as far as I understand. 
So here's the second type of combination of disease and injury. A serious disease causes a fatal injury to occur, e.g. a person has a heart attack while swimming and drowns. All right? So swimming, of course, is not going to cause you to drown. You can drown while swimming, but if you have a heart attack while swimming and then you drown, what is the cause of death? Well, you say, well, the cause of death was water in the lungs. The cause of death was drowning. But that's not really the cause of death. The cause of death is the heart attack while swimming. It's complicated, right? Type 3, an injury seems to have caused the disease that proves fatal, e.g. lie ingestion with subsequent esophageal scarring, scarring and fatal esophageal cancer that develops years later. All right. For managing such cases, an option is to develop an opinion as to whether the injury or disease was the most important and to list the most important one in Part 1 and the less important one in Part 2, using a split format as described for paraprocedural deaths. If the condition is listed in Part 1 as the underlying cause of death, it is the injury then the manner may be reported as other than natural. Homicide, suicide, accident are undetermined as appropriate. If the disease condition is listed in part one as the underlying cause of death, then the manner may be reported as natural. So they say he died of a coronary arrest, a heart attack in layman's terms, right? Which I'm a layman, so forgive me for using it. So he died of a heart attack, but... It wasn't something that simply occurred out of nowhere, right? It occurred during the arrest. Now, what is the cause of death? Well, nobody, I think, would make an argument that would say, well, George Floyd was about to drop dead of a heart attack, and it would have happened anyway. No. I don't think that's the case because you've got a guy with a crippled heart, basically, high on drugs, who exerts himself in a violent and stressful manner and thus exploding his heart, right? So you say, okay, well, was it natural causes? Well, no, it didn't just happen on its own. The police officers were involved. Did the police officers cause the heart attack? Well, I don't think police officers can cause heart attacks unless they directly choke you out like i get your heart can have a a you can have a heart attack because you lack oxygen from what people have told me right so i get all of that but the coroner's report is no asphyxiation and no strangulation so it was not a loss of blood it was not a loss of oxygen so then and he had a weak heart a very very weak heart 90% blockage in some of the arteries right so that's the question that's the question Of course, it's homicide. It's not natural cause. It's not suicide, not accident. Other people were involved in the cause of the death. But if what they did was legal, then they're proximate but not directly causal. Because they had no foreknowledge that this seemingly healthy, tall, physically strong, aggressive, violent man was about to have a heart explosion, basically. And given that he'd already lied to them, when he said he was dying. Well, there's two things. One, they had every reason to not believe that he was telling the truth. And number two, could they have done anything anyway? So it is a tragic, tragic coincidence that the officer had his knee on Floyd's neck while Floyd was having a heart attack. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible, and look, it's a, it's a horrible way to go. It's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible way to go. Face down in the gutter. I mean, it's absolutely monstrous. So, 
those are the situations. And I just really, really want people to, to understand that. Okay, so let's get a couple questions in here before all of this. That's a nice mic you got there. Yes, it is. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I am uh, probably a little hyper-obsessed with video quality and audio quality. So, People who can't breathe don't talk. That's what uh, a doctor has uh, told me, which again, right? So why aren't we talking about the 10 to 1 ratio that blacks murder whites? Yes, well, and of course, you have to look at interracial rape statistics as well. The vastly, vastly more white women are raped by black men than white, uh, than black women raped by white men. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Any other? Uh, he was killed by the knee. Don't distract the issue, Stefan. For someone who believe he has a higher than normal brain, you are pandering to racist ideas there. Yeah, see, I haven't talked about race really at all other than to mention that this um, issue, this particular uh, issue, hits black, uh, black um, African-Americans more. I haven't talked about race. So if you're bringing in racist and racism, then you're the racist, my friend, and you just need to do better. Let's just have an intelligent conversation about cause and effect in this situation. And I, I'm sorry, you just have to stop calling people racist for talking about facts. It's absolutely appalling behavior, and you should just stop it. It's, it's a horrible thing to do. It's a horrible thing to do. All right, 10 minutes of constricted breathing. Well, that is the challenge, right? The um, coroner's report is no asphyxiation, no strangulation, no signs of neck compression uh, that could cause that. So we have, uh, we have a tough problem. We have a tough problem. Uh, MPD, Minnesota Police Department, used neck restraint 237 times since 2015, 16% unconscious, no deaths until... George Floyd. Now, is that, that is uh, unverified. Not that I, you know, I do occasionally get fake news uh, in here from uh, people. So let me just uh, have a quick look there. See what that may be. All right. And let's see, let's see, let's see. Gosh. Oh, hang on. Yeah, that could be that could be right. All right, let's bring it up. Let's bring it up. Should we go with T Roy or should we go with uh, NBC? Wait, Newsweek. You know, Newsweek is pretty garbage. <laughs> They're really, really terrible. Let's go with T Roy. He looks like a very charming and engaging fellow. Let's go with T Roy. All right. Look at me doing live news. Live, baby, live. All right. So uh, this is T-Roy, iHeartRadio. Looks like somebody I'd buy insurance from. Totally. All right. Next restraints used 237 times since 2015. Uh, right. A new analysis of records from the Minneapolis Police Department has found that its officers had used neck restraints similar to the one used by Derek Chauvin on George Floyd at least 237 times over the past five years, rendering 44 suspects unconscious. Yeah, if the suspect is aggressive, you're allowed to render them unconscious using that, as far as I understand it. So let's see here. Floyd lost consciousness, blah, blah, blah. We know the Minneapolis Police Department manual does not appear to permit the maneuver, except on a subject who was aggressive, resisting arrest, or for life-saving purposes. Hello! He was resisting arrest. I don't know about life-saving, but he certainly was resisting arrest. So, sorry, you're absolutely right. Uh, I appreciate that, uh, that update. 
All right. A couple more questions or comments. We'll close it down. No Trump, no wall, no USA at all. Revolution is close. Mm, yes, things are not looking, not looking that great. What we, conclude, conclu- what we can conclude from the evidence presented so far is that it isn't an open and shut case. We need to start asking if the cops can get a fair trial. Well, that is an interesting question. So as f- this is what I would suggest, because people have suggested, like asked me, okay, well, what, what would you do? Well, first of all, this is what I suggested from the very beginning. I remember my very first tweet one was like, like, this looks really bad. And I can't imagine what could be the case uh, that would justify this kind of treatment. Um, and then I started looking into it. So first thing you do is you wait for the coroner's report. Uh, and then you wait for the body cam footage and you don't charge people based upon the mob demanding, quote, justice, right? That's just straight up lynching. It's a straight up lynch, uh, lynching to, to say these guys have to be charged and it is giving the mob way too much power to charge these guys prior to body cam footage review, prior to um, they were charged even prior to the full coroner's report coming out and so on. So what do you think of President Trump's performance in all of this? Well, he's bringing the hurt to the Democrats, right? You vote Democrat, you'll get reduced police, right? And here's the thing too, right? So I, I talked about this on Twitter. Like it's really, really impossible. I'd take this guy's, he shouldn't be associated with this. I'm sure he's a super nice guy. So you can't really understand the black community in America, at least our segments of it, without first understanding that according to some surveys, about half, between 40 and 60%, so roughly about half, of little black girls report being sexually assaulted by black men before they turn 18, right, the girls. So unfortunately, uh, pedophilia, sexual assault of children is pretty rampant within the black community. Now, of course, that's illegal. And so the fact that uh, black males have an issue with law enforcement, well, if they've committed these kinds of crimes in the past, then that's going to be pretty bad. And if you want to understand the fractions and tensions between black men and black women that Tommy Sotomayor talks about, that uh, Jesse Lee Peterson talk about, that other course, people have talked about understanding that this kind of predation upon children is unfortunately just incredibly prevalent within the black community. And like whites can't fix that. Like every white person, every East Asian person, uh, and you know, we, we all want the black community to do well. We all want uh, there to be peace and, and family stability and, and productivity and all of that. But we can't really do much about the prevalence of sexual assault on little black girls. Like, we can't do much about that. I really wish I could wave a wand. What we can do, of course, is raise awareness of it, right? That, that's what we can do, is raise awareness of this, because this is, to me, the single biggest issue that is facing the black community that's directly actionable, which is to raise awareness of just how prevalent this kind of sexual assault is upon children within the black community, particularly the girls, of course, right now. The surveys are not huge, but it's something that definitely needs to be explored a whole lot further. But that's not profitable, right? So talking about the prevalence of sexual assault on children within the black community, it doesn't get you $100 million from George Soros, and it doesn't get you half a million dollars from Airbnb, and it doesn't get sympathetic tweets from Ben and Jerry's. It just, it just, there's no money in it. There's no money in protecting children. And, you know, it's really interesting when I talk about this kind of stuff on Twitter, I get attacked by a lot of people. Why, why would you attack someone who's expressing sympathy for the victims of childhood sexual assault. What kind of conscience would you have to have in order to really feel that that's something you want to do is attack someone standing up for the victims of childhood sexual abuse? Come on. It's pretty pretty obvious what's going on there, right? All right. 
All right. Um, you got wrecked by Stephen Woodford. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just like wrestling, man. Mm, I'm a big brain person. <laughs> you just, you, 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 your brain is faltering at this altitude, dude, and we're not even that high above sea level. All right. I think that's it for, uh, for questions. So many truth in the stream. Steph nailing it. Well, thank you uh, very much. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for everyone who supports what it is that I do. Yeah, let's close it down for today. Um, just a, a great pleasure to chat with you guys. I am extraordinarily honored, as I say, always by your trust in me to bring philosophy to a thirsty for truth, but unfortunately also bloodthirsty world. We will, with courage and resolution, get done what needs to get done in bringing the truth to people. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. If you would like to help out the show, it would be enormously appreciated. Uh, Thank you so much, everyone. It's a great pleasure to chat with you. I love you guys all so much. And have yourself a great and safe 